Our scripture reading this morning is 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. You can find that on page 1082 in the Pew Bible. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. If you're visiting with us this morning, we want you to know that uh, we're really, really glad that you're here and hope that uh, your experience with us this morning is so positive that you'll want to come back every opportunity that you have. This morning, I want us to go back over this passage of Scripture that's being read because I want us to really get immersed into this passage Do not love the world or the things in the world. I'm reading from a New Century Version translation, which is a translation made by members of the church and um, is in a little clearer, hopefully more simplified translation than, than usual. But do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And these are the things of the world. And then you see, but none of these things come from the Father. All of them come from the world. And the world is passing away. And everything that the people want in the world is passing away. But the person who does what God wants him will live forever. Now, you're probably wondering... What in the world is that sermon topic about this morning? This, uh, and what does that have to do with the lesson? This is a psychological criminal justice term. You would find this in a textbook from the FBI. But I think it explains some, uh, some things that are happening in the church today. It's uh, a strange title, I know. But it's a term that designates some situations that are happening, uh, you know, with us and in the church. And I think we'll be able to explain that as we go on and you see what is happening. And you'll see what I mean as we proceed in it. This term first occurred in 1973 when a bank robber held up a bank in Stockholm, Sweden. He was not able to get out of the building before the police came. And so he took four hostages, and he held them hostage for 131 hours, a little over five days, during which time he terrorized them. He fired Russian automatic weapons at them, and on numerous occasions he threatened to kill them. He even tied nooses around their necks and threatened to hang them. But he didn't harm them. When he finally surrendered, there was this very unusual happening that occurred. 
you would have expected the hostages to be antagonistic toward the hostage taker. And to hate him would not have been unexpected at all. But instead, the hostages feared the police more than they did the hostage taker. They said they they didn't hate the hostage taker. They refused to testify against him. And one of the ladies, one hostage was lady that she became engaged to the hostage taker. Now when the FBI analyzed and heard about this and brought it, was brought to their attention, they analyzed thousands of hostage situations and they found that this happens pretty frequently. And they asked psychologists, okay, well, now what happened in this incident? What causes this? And they said that in situations like this, that there is a high level of life-threatening stress and a positive human interaction. And people's ego and their defense mechanism comes into play. And there is a denial of what is happening. And they regress to a different emotional state. These hostages eventually transferred their hatred to the police because they believed this guy is not really going to hurt them, but they were afraid the police were. Now then, there was something else very important that occurred here in this instance. There was a love relationship that begins to take place toward the hostage taker. Now, if you doubt any of this, you can go online and Google it to the, to the Stockholm Syndrome and find out that this is a real, real incident. Now, let me give you some examples of how that very same principle is happening in the church today. Sue goes off to college in the fall. Sue's very, been very active in the church Uh, She comes from a strong Christian family. When she gets to college, she is rushed by a sorority. She's attractive. She's talented. She pledges this sorority, and the fellows begin to date her. There are many extracurricular activities and sports parties that vie for her attention. And she even has one professor in one of her classes that tells her that there is no God. The fall term at the university, she is just swept away with the university environment. She went to church the first Sunday that she was at college, but she never got back because life was just one big whirl. Christmas time, she went home, but she was different. She was indifferent to her parents. She spent hours on the telephone talking to her friends from the university from all parts of the country. She did make a reluctant appearance in church, but she yawned at her unsophisticated friends. When the first year at the university was over, Sue was a different person. Sue had been taken hostage by the world. Jim is a Christian businessman. He did well in his company, and so he began to take off his own, and the situation was very opportune. His business began to take off. He began to make money, 
And he began to get caught up into this business and he saw his horizons beginning to expand. He threw himself into his work 12, 14 hours a day. He dropped the Sunday school class that he was teaching because he didn't have time to prepare anymore. And then in a short time, he began to make it to services, church services, only on Sunday morning. And for several months, he would be at a stretch. He would be even unfaithful in that. Because his business, you see, was making many demands on him. Sunday was the only day that he could go play golf with his friends. And sometimes he had to be out of town. And things even began to change at home. His attitude toward his wife and his children became indifferent. He began to have less time with them. And when his wife talked to him about church things, and he was very critical and he would refuse to go. And he said, those people at church are nothing but a bunch of hypocrites. They don't know what's going on in the world. You see, Jim had also been taken hostage by the church. Now, there's another example. There's a story in the Bible I want to tell you about. In one of Paul's books, he mentions a man by the name of Demas. He mentions that Demas is helping him. And he sends greetings to the people that he's writing this letter to from Demas. Demas is part of Paul's evangelistic team. But later on, in the last book that Paul ever wrote, the book of 2 Timothy, in the last paragraph of that book, the last paragraph that the Apostle Paul ever wrote, there is this tragic sentence there. He says that Demas has forsaken me, loving this present world. You see, Demas has been taken captive. He has become a hostage to the world and he's lost to the cause of Christ. Now, I suggest to you that these are just illustrations of a great tragedy that we're seeing taking place in the church today. That we have great numbers of people who are being taken hostage. The Stockholm Syndrome that we have described has crept into the church and has altered many Christians' views. In the minds of these people, the world has influenced them to believe a lie. They believe their enemies are actually our friends. And they believe that the former friends that we have are really now our enemies. And the loyalty that they once gave to God, they now give to the world. If you look at at the spiritual Stockholm Syndrome, in light of this text, you will see that that is exactly what John is writing about. And when he speaks about loving the world, this is what he means. And when he itemizes these things that are taking place, that, that are attracted to them, this is what happened to those people. And then he says, this is what's going to happen to these people who have been taken captive and are hostages of the world. I want to ask four questions in the lesson this morning about uh, how that this takes place and what is happening. The first question is, who are our enemies today? And our enemies very clearly and very simply is the devil who is the God of the world. He controls the world. 
The world is not the physical world that we see all around us. It is the desire of the flesh. It is the, it is the desire of what our eyes see, and it is the pride in our possessions that John outlines here. Folks, we must not forget the fact that the devil is real. If God is real, then the devil is real too. And the Bible describes him as the God of this world. In Colossians 1, Paul says that when we are converted and we become Christians, that we are translated from the kingdom of the world into the kingdom of God. And he's saying that everyone, apart from God, is under the government of the devil because the devil is the God of this world. In John 3, Jesus says that the whole world lies in the wicked one. They are under the dominion of the devil. Paul in Ephesians 2 and verse 2 says that non-Christians, the most who are not Christians, are obeying the prince of the power of the air, the devil. That means that people outside the church, people who are not Christians, they're really obeying the devil and they're living the way the devil wants them to. And Paul, Paul in, uh, in, in 2 Corinthians, the 11th chapter, in verse 14 and 15, is inspired to say this thing that most of us don't want to believe. He says, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising then if his servants masquerade as servants of righteousness. Do you realize what that is saying? We must not be taken away with the fact that, that it is possible that the devil is masquerading as something that's good and is attractive and is beneficial for us in order to deceive us. And it is possible that some of the people in the world who seem to be very righteous are actually devil's angels who are sent here just to deceive us and try to get us, get us away from God. Why would the devil do that? He is doing that because he is deceptive. He is trying to deceive us. He's trying to take us hostage. He is trying to get us to live for him instead of God. Several years ago, I worked with a lady for quite some time who had just been baptized. And before her baptism, she was a seventh-level high priestess in devil worship. She told me one time that... that then in devil worship, that one of the things that they tried to do often was that they would go and join some church. And once they got inside that church, then they would try to disrupt it and cause some problems and some trouble in that church. The devil is deceptive. The second question we ought to ask about this is that why do Christians succumb to the spiritual Stockholm Syndrome? The first reason that they do so is that they have a naive view of the world. They have the view that the world is a very attractive place. When Sue went off to college, everything to her was all glamour and sequins and spangles and music 
Everything looks good, and Satan makes it look that way on purpose. Several years ago, there was a garbage collector strike in one of our large eastern cities. And uh, one man had a problem. He had to get rid of his garbage, and so he put it in a box. And then he wrapped the box up in beautiful paper and put a beautiful bow on it, just like it was a, a, a really nice Christmas present, and then put it in his car and took his car and parked it out on the street. No time at all, somebody stole it. Now, can you imagine what that guy thought? Or maybe it wasn't a guy either. What they thought when they got home and opened it up and found in that box garbage. (laughs) Now, I suggest to you that is exactly the same thing that's happening in the world and that the devil is throwing at us. He is making the world look attractive like it's a beautifully wrapped Christmas present that's got wonderful things inside it. But then when we open it up, it's garbage. You see, that's what God, what the devil did when he made sin very attractive to Adam and Eve. You remember this old song about can anything that is so right be so wrong? Well, yes, it can. That's what the devil wants us to think. The devil wants us to think that the world isn't evil, that sin isn't wrong. And if we're not partaking of drugs and sex and alcohol, we're missing out on life. And the second question The second reason why Christians succumb succumb to this spiritual Stockholm Syndrome is because of spiritual laxity. Several years ago, uh, TWA flight number 847 was hijacked from Athens, Greece to Beirut, Lebanon. Three days later, there was a tour group from the United States that landed at that airport in Athens. And now the United States has invoked sanctions against that country because of its lax security in allowing that hijacking to take place. And this group, when they arrived there three days later, said that security wasn't any better. There were lots of soldiers, but they were just slouching around. Their weapons were often laying on the ground. Now, a worldwide tragedy had occurred. It was because of their lax security. Now, that not that just like some of us Christians, just like happening in the church. We fail to realize the danger that we're in. Folks, do you realize that there is a war going on and we don't know about it? People who believe in premillennialism today really like to make a big deal of, the, of Armageddon and what it means. Armageddon in the scripture simply means that there's a battle between good and evil going on. Now, that battle, Armageddon, is taking place right now all around you in this present time. It is the battle between good and evil. And we're right in the middle of it. Things can be worse than being in a war. We can be in a war and not even know it. One day I remembered hearing this song for the first and last time, fortunately... This guy was talking about having lost his girlfriend and he said, I would have won the battle if I had known there was a war. So he didn't know that and he lost his girlfriend. The third reason why that Christians succumb to the spiritual syndrome is because of our ignorance of the devil's devices to get us to sin. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2, don't be ignorant of his devices. 
Most of us probably think that when the devil comes to us, he comes with horns and with a pitchfork in his hand and dressed in a red suit and he's ugly and he's vile and he's disgusting and he's not. That, that uh, ex-Satanist lady that I mentioned to you a while ago told me once that her vision of the devil when she worshipped the devil was that of the most handsome man that she had ever seen. And that is exactly what the devil wants us to see him as. That is exactly what the devil wants us to see in the world and all the attractions he brings to us. He wants us to see something beautiful, but it is not. It is vile and it is disgusting. But if it looked disgusting to us, we would run from it like we would run from the devil if we, I knew that that was him. And so he disguises it so we don't know. Remember that Paul said that don't be surprised that the devil is masquerading as an angel of light. And he brings all these seductive attractions which are not beautiful at all. They're only devices to persuade us to fall for them. And the fourth reason why that Christians succumb to the spiritual Stockholm Syndrome is because of our spiritual immaturity and our lack of Christian conviction. Not all of us who claim to be Christians are convinced that sin is really sin and that the world in this is ensnaring and that the devil is alive. I remember a man coming into my office one day and telling me of something that he was going to do. He came and told me about it because as the preacher he wanted my blessings on what he was going to do. Now listen to what he was going to do. And, he, and I said to him, Cecil, do you, do you understand that what you're describing to me, that the scripture doesn't give you the right to do that, that that is wrong? He said, yes, I know that. I said, well, why are you doing it if you know it's wrong? He says, I think God will forgive me. Now, what Cecil was trying to do that I tried to explain to him, you're spitting in God's face. You're saying to God, God, I know what I'm going to do is wrong. I know that it is against your teachings. I know that it is sin, and I'm going to do it anyway, and you're going to have to forgive me. And he's going to go to the judgment day demanding that God forgive him because this is what he wants to do. John said, my little children... Beware the spiritual Stockholm Syndrome and love not the world, neither do the things that are in the world. Now the third question we need to ask about this is how are Christians deceived and enslaved today? John said we're enslaved by the things of the world. The world meaning we're wanting sinful things because they're pleasurable. We're wanting sinful things that we see and we're too proud of our possessions. And he uses the word lust, that we lust for these things. And that's a powerful, powerful word. Meaning that it's not just adulterers, it's not just drunkards. These are sins, but these are not the only sins because sins we know can be attractive. The sin is any inordinate desire of the flesh and of the eye and, eye and the pride of our life. And how does it happen? How do we get trapped into it? Well, first, we're trapped into it because we're immersed in our culture of our affluent, materialistic, secular society today. 
we lose consciousness of what really is sin because we are so saturated in it that our guard is down. You've probably heard this old illustration of how to boil a frog to death. You boil a pot of water and you put a frog in it and he's going to jump out real quick. And so you start with cold water and you put the frog in, the frog likes that. Gradually you increase the temperature just a little bit and a little bit and the frog likes that and he stays in it. And pretty soon he realizes this is too hot and it's not good for me. I'm going to die through this. But he can't get out and he boils to death. And that is what happens to us as Christians. The church is like that. We get into the world. It is so pleasant and so good. And then it gets a little warmer and more pleasant. And we can't get out. And that's what happened to Sue and Jim. Gradually the world got warmer and warmer and more and more pleasant until they were gone. Pretty soon people come to this conclusion and say, this is going to kill me and I haven't the strength to get out of it. People take alcohol and they do drugs today because this is the accepted thing. This is, this is, it's, we would stand out as, as strange if we didn't do this. And it is pleasant. It makes us feel good. And we, we enjoy that. And all other temptations work the very, very same way. The second reason why Christians are deceived and, and enslaved today is because... We have been brainwashed. And I'm using that's a strong word and I'm using it because I want you to understand this is what's happening. We're brainwashed today by the ads of the media that we see all the time. We're brainwashed to believe that we have to use this kind of deodorant and this kind of shampoo and wear these kinds of jeans and drink this kind of, of, of beer because that will make us successful and we will enjoy life. You probably don't realize it, but some of the worst places in the world today are, we are to eat are places that we go to and are the most successful because they have brainwashed our children to think that's where they have to go. And so we look at these things and we take part in them and, and life is glorious if we do this and we're brainwashed to believe that if we do what the ads tell us through media of all kinds, then we'll have happiness and joy and fulfillment. That's a lie if there ever was one. Some of the people that have all of those things make the most prominent suicides. Today, we are brainwashed by the soap operas and the entertainment and news media. There is no finer example of how the devil is deceiving and brainwashing us today than the television set in your living room. Do you realize that every dirty word there is, you can, your children can hear it on the television today? Do you realize that just about every conceivable sin there is, your children can watch it in your living room on the television set? Do you also realize that 30 or 40 years ago, those things were not there? They are today. And now have you realized what has happened to the values of our society in that meantime? We have become so accustomed to that. We are so used to those things, we don't think anything at all about it. 
You can't find a decent television program to watch today within the last 10 years it's done. And what is this TV entertainment telling us? It is telling us that extramarital sex is natural and no two people are ever together without drinks in their hands, that drugs and abortion and homosexuality, these things are all legitimate. And the television programming today is telling us dramatically, better than most sermons I might add, that they are, these things are all good. And as adults, we take it for granted that these things we're seeing on television portrayed in this entertainment, that those things are good because from the time our, we were children, we have been immersed in this secular culture and our guard is down. We have become desensitized to these things and we don't know that they're wrong anymore. And we have been taken captive by the devil. The third thing is that Christians are deceived and, and seduced by these things because of the apparent kindness of the world. When that TWA flight was, was hijacked, they took it to Beirut, Lebanon, and some Muslims took the hostages to a banquet at a nice hotel. And they filmed it, and they were treating them very kindly. They were treating them so kindly that the hostages began to, to criticize the government of the United States because they weren't giving in to the demands of the Muslims. The Muslims were threatened to kill them if our government didn't do more for them and the hostages were expressing sympathy to the viewpoint of the Muslims. You see, people in the church today make apologies to the world and for those who follow biblical values. And they tell us that the world values are good and immorality is not sinful and they tell us not to be negative and not be a negative Christian. But I suggest to you that it's better for us to be negative about adultery and sealing and sin and lying and dishonesty and taking the Lord's name in vain. And that the Ten Commandments are not the Ten Suggestions. Jesus said that Christians are in the world, but they are not of the world. But we'll find today that most Christians are of it, they are with it, they are for it, and they love it. And we find Christians taking up for the world, going over to the enemy's side, and some preachers are not even going to preach on these things. And if you do, you've had it. There's a saying among preachers that there are certain kinds of sermons that we can preach that are moving sermons. Meaning that if you preach a sermon on that subject, you are going to be moving so then how are we going to be liberated from this captivity if we have been seduced by the spiritual Stockholm Syndrome? First thing is we have got to be redeemed. Do you remember how those prisoners got out of TWA hijacking, out of Beirut? The United States made a quiet deal with the nation of Israel. Israel released 800 Muslim prisoners that they had to exchange for the 37 hostages on that flight. Those hostages were redeemed. When Christ died for us, he was buying us out of enslavement. And the question is, have you let Christ redeem you? Jesus says that when we become redeemed, that therefore our primary loyalty is to Jesus Christ. And he says that nobody can serve two masters. 
If you love one, you're going to hate the other. You can't serve God and the world at the same time. And if you try to do that, the love of the Father is not in him. But how many Christians are trying it? Folks, do you realize that a lot of us have been seduced, we have been brainwashed, we have been captured, and we're bound by the system in which we live. And our salt has been destroyed, and our light has been covered up. So look again at 1 John, the second chapter, in verse 15 through 17. Do not love the world, neither the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him because all that is in the world, the desire of the flesh, the desire of the eye, and the pride of one's possessions is not of the Father, but it is of the world. And the world is passing away, and it's desire, but he who does God's will abides forever. If you want to be a child of God, a follower of Jesus Christ, you have to make a clean break of all of that. And that's called repentance. And then you confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is Lord. And then you're baptized where God takes that opportunity to wash away your sins. And if a church member and a former Christian, you have gone over to the other side and you're living a life that you know is wrong, then you need to repent of that. You need to decide that's wrong. I'm going to quit that. I'm going to live the Christian life. And then you need to tell us about it so that the whole church will know that you're not going to live that way any longer and to help and support you in this new way. And we'll pray to God for you and with you that this might happen. And we can do that right now if you'll come while we stand and sing.